Hey everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number eight. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on May 26, 2018. This Memorial Weekend, we remember everyone who died serving in the armed forces. So today I'm going to cut to the chase and read you a chapter from my book. It will be chapter eight. That means no tech news or behind the scenes information. I have two reasons uh, for this. First, it's a holiday weekend and I'd like to get back to my holiday. Second, and more importantly, uh, my rant last week went on for so long that I don't have any space left this month. So I promise I'll be back next week with the usual program. But for now, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, we left off with Lara's visit to the police station in a heated argument with DC police detective Mario Sanchez. In the end, he asks her to work with him and they decide to divide and conquer. Sanchez will handle the basic crime elements and Lara will investigate the technology aspects of the case. For this reason, she makes a visit to the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, to ask questions about the drone show at Nationals Park. Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 8, DARPA Lara tapped her finger nervously on the table while she waited in the windowless conference room at DARPA in Roslyn, Virginia. She'd stashed her phone in the lockbox outside the room, and she felt awkward without a screen to stare at. When he'd finally stopped asking about Maggie, Sanchez agreed Lara should handle all the technology-related leads and he'd focus on the basic crime elements. He asked her to visit DARPA and get some answers about the drone show at Nationals Park. Lara didn't know what to expect from her meeting with DARPA officials, or even what she was searching for. She knew the agency developed technology similar to what she'd found on the Beetle, and that Sully carried a fake DARPA ID on the day he died. Most private investigators didn't view the law as she did, particularly not Sully, so his indiscretion must have been for a good reason. Her thoughts drifted to Vic and the missing remote control. She'd been trying to reach him by phone to ask him about it, but he had suddenly become mysteriously unavailable. He claimed to be busy with midterm exams, but Lara sensed something else was afoot. Why would he take the remote? As a green card holder, Vic could get himself in real trouble and jeopardize his plans to make America's permanent home. It wasn't likely Sanchez would tolerate another violation of the law from her or anyone associated with her. Lara stared at the barren walls of the conference room. The long walnut conference table stretched out before her. A classified conference phone sat at the center, along with a secure video teleconference system, Civets, placed at the far end. She'd attended meetings in a sensitive compartmented information facility, or SCIF, several times before. During her years on active duty, she'd helped top-secret clearance with regular access to classified information. Lara remained in the National Guard mostly for the extra income, but with her military rank of Army Captain, her status also allowed her to keep an active top-secret clearance. This came in handy for her job as a private investigator whenever she consulted for the U.S. government. Lara fidgeted with her clothing as she crossed and uncrossed her legs. 
She loathed wearing a formal business suit, but somehow she didn't think her usual leather jacket and leggings would make the right impression. The conference room door opened. A balding man with a white beard and a slightly bulging stomach walked into the room with a younger woman at his side. Lars stood to greet them. "'Miss Kingsley,' the woman said. "'I'm Justine Marsh, DARPA's Director of Public Outreach, and this is my colleague, Dr. Anton Stepanov, Director of Robotics Research.' Lara nodded and sat as they both took seats across from her at the conference table. Dr. Stepanov looked like a typical engineer. He wore a red bow tie that clashed with his tan tweed suit. He stared at Lara awkwardly through th- his thick-rimmed glasses. Unlike Stepanov, Justine seemed rather out of place in the drab federal building. An attractive woman with striking blue eyes, she had unusually smooth, silky skin and black straightened hair. With the way she carried herself, Lara judged her to be in her 40s, though she could easily pass for 35. The bold floral scent of Justine's perfume wafted in Lara's direction, tickling her nose. Justine smiled warmly. Detective Sanchez called and asked us to meet with you about the drone show that took place during the Nationals game a few days ago. What is it that you would like to know? Lara cleared her throat and flipped open her notebook. We're investigating a homicide that occurred at the ballpark shortly after the drones arrived. We would like to know if you have any information regarding who was behind the drones. It's possible the two events are connected in some way. DARPA is not an intelligence agency, Dr. Stepanov said, revealing a slight Russian accent. He crossed his arms defensively and glowered at Lara. We don't track users of drone technology, so I'm not sure what we can tell you about it. But we want to be as helpful to you as possible in your case, Justine said, ignoring her colleague's attitude. Dr. Stepanov is correct. We don't know that much. Lara nodded. Based on your expertise, surely you must have some ideas about the type of drone technology that was used. A moment of silence followed. Justine elbowed Dr. Stepanov, and he nodded reluctantly. Obviously, I didn't see the drones myself. What I say is almost entirely based on speculation and inference. But I believe the drones at the ballpark must have been off-the-shelf commercial products, possibly with a few defense-related modifications. What sort of modifications, Lara asked. Some years ago, DARPA funded a project to develop drones with military-like capabilities from off-the-shelf parts, Dr. Stepanov said. These drones ended up being so cheap and effective that the U.S. Army decided to employ them in the field for surveillance missions. The Army added some advanced modifications, including a visual-aided navigation system, and the ability to use encrypted frequencies for data transmission. We believe the drones at the ballpark benefited from both of these modifications. Lara raised her eyebrow. How do you know that? Detective Sanchez told us the D.C. Metro Police followed the drone squadron out of the park. The police officers used sophisticated jamming technology to try to take the drones down in. What type of jamming technology? Lara asked. They use shoulder-mounted rifles that attack drones with radio waves. These rifles are designed to safely stop drones in the air by disrupting the radio and GPS signals controlling the drones. When the drone loses its radio and GPS signals, it is programmed to enter into its safety protocols, which means it will either hover in place, attempt to land, or return to its original location. But if the drones don't transmit any signals, what does a typical jammer look like? Lara asked, a possibility popping into her head. The U.S. Army now used high-power microwave weapons to counter IED drones, controlled by insurgents. She'd never seen equipment used by domestic police. A police jammer looks like a semi-automatic rifle with a long spiky antenna attached. 
The typical jammer on the street is more like a large remote control device with thick, thick antenna. That sounds exactly like Sully's remote control. So maybe he was trying to jam the signal to the drones, or even hijack them, depending on how he modified the remote. How are the drones able to defend themselves against the rifles? Lar asked. Dr. Stepanov's frown deepened. As I was saying before, we suspect the drones were using encrypted frequencies which would protect them against jam the jamming signals. Either that, or they were designed with visual-aided navigation systems and didn't require GPS in the first place. Perhaps both. Most off-the-shelf drones depend on GPS for navigation and use unencrypted frequencies for data transmission, which makes them vulnerable to jamming and interception. Lara decided to test out her theory. The victim was found with a device that sounds like a, the street-level jammer you've described. Do you think our victim might have been attempting to spoof signals and hijack the drones, she asked. Dr. Stepanov sighed heavily. Without expecting inspecting the remote, it's impossible to know what capabilities it encompassed. But if the drones benefited from some level of encryption, they would have to be protected against false GPS signals intended to hijack a drone's navigation system. Lara rubbed her chin. If he was trying to steal a drone or jam the signal and he failed, but why would he try either of those things in the first place? How did he know the drones would even be there? Why do you think Sully didn't show you the remote when he met with you, Dr. Stepanov? She spoke on impulse to see how he would react. If it would startle him to learn she knew more about their meeting. Lara watched his face turn ashen and his mouth open and close. His eyes bulged from his pudgy face and he caught, cast a nervous glance in Justine's direction. Ah, I don't know what you're talking about. I never met him. Dr. Stepanov avoided eye contact and readjusted his tie. You mean you didn't meet with Phil Sullivan and give him your business card? Not that I recall, Dr. Stepanov said curtly. Why would he lie about this? If you could bring us the remote you found, we could compare it to, Justine started. I think we should end this conversation right now, Dr. Stepanov said, turning to Justine. Miss Kingsley does not have the appropriate clearance to hear more on this matter. Justine shrugged her shoulders and waved off her colleague's objections. Anton, I've already cleared us to share top-secret information, and we haven't even gotten to that point yet. Everything we've said thus far is unclassified. Ms. Marsh, with all due respect, I think we need to stop here, Dr. Stepanov said forcefully. He pointed at Lara with his index finger. She doesn't have the clearance for compartmentalized information. And frankly, I don't care what the higher-ups think. This technology belongs to the Department of Defense and is my duty to ensure information doesn't fall into the wrong hands. You're being unreasonable. She's not asking for anything dangerous. Just helped in solving a murder, Justine said. He gave Justine a death glare. If you continue, I will have to report you for a security violation. Justine returned the glare with a frosty look that could freeze hell over. Then she then turned to Lara with a warm smile. Do you have any other unclassified questions? Lara glanced it down at her notepad. Yeah, do you think there was a single perpetrator or a group behind the drone show? Dr. Stepanov gritted his teeth. Even if the drones were pre-programmed, it would be next to impossible to launch and maintain effective control over that many drones with only one or two people. They'd have to be have perfect line of sight the entire time. Lara furrowed her brow. What if the drones were outfitted with the latest, latest swarming software? I had assumed this feature had already entered the mainstream. In that case, couldn't a single operator be able to control an entire swarm consisting of hundreds of drones? 
I can't answer that question, Dr. Stepanov growled. Lara didn't intend to press his patience any further. She decided to change the subject. There's another issue I wanted to raise in the interest of full disclosure. When I searched our victim's townhouse, I found a beetle with... Well, essentially, it's a bionic bug. What? Justine's eyes widened. Her interest clearly peaked. I took it to an entomologist, and she identified the bug as an Australian Christmas beetle with an embedded microelectronics package to control its flight patterns. You don't say, Justine said. DARPA funded that research many years ago, but the tech you're describing sounds a bit outdated. What was the beetle used for? Mostly surveillance, I think, but we're looking into a few other issues, Lara said. Dr. Stepanov looked at his watch. Sadly, I don't have time to hear more. I have another meeting to get to. He placed his hands flat on the table to insist him as he got to his feet. Lara stood up, following his lead. Sir, thank you so much for your help on our case. It, it was extremely useful. She reached out his her hand, but he refused to take it. Dr. Stepanov grimaced, turned on his heel, and walked briskly halfway toward the door, stopped, and turned back. Ms. Marsh, are you coming? In a moment. I'm serious. Don't give her any classified information. Justine rolled her eyes and gave Lara a disbelieving look. Of course, we would be interested in hearing further developments about the beetle. Justine said loudly, so Stepanov could hear her. He shook his head, spun on his heels, and marched off. When her colleague was out of sight, she turned to Lara and whispered in a low voice, I'm very sorry about his rude behavior. I hate to say it, but it's not entirely out of character for him. He's on a detail assignment from NSA, and I'm not sure he's happy here. Lara shrugged her shoulders. It's no problem at all. I got what I came for. Justine paused. Actually, I'd really like to hear more about this case, if you're willing. Do you have time to grab lunch? Now? Lara wrinkled her nose as if trying to recall if she had anything on her schedule. She was hopeless without a calendar on her phone. Justine nodded. Lara glanced at her watch. Uh, sure. She didn't know what more she could tell Justine about the case, but maybe she could learn more about Stepanoff. Okay, wait here. I just need to run to my office and get my wallet. Also, don't forget to take your cell phone, Justine said, pointing to the set of lockboxes hanging on the wall. Then she turned and hurried down the hallway. As Lara retrieved her cell phone from lockbox number D107, she froze. A sense of deja vu washed over her, but she'd never been here before. Something feels familiar. She carefully studied the small keys in each of the empty lockboxes, and her eyes darted to D110. The box was locked and the key was missing. From her wallet, she pulled out the key engraved with D110 she'd found in Sully's safe room. Her hands trembling, she fit the key to the, into the lock, and it turned. She opened the box to find a low-tech cell phone, possibly a burner. Could this be Sully's cell phone? The detective had Sully's personal and work cell phones in evidence lockup at the police station. Did Sully leave the cell phone here for safekeeping? Is that why he made himself a DARPA ID? Lara rubbed her finger across the screen. Nothing. She pressed the power button. Still no response. Just my luck. Dead battery. Fo 75, a hole-in-the-wall Vietnamese restaurant located a few blocks from Justine's office, was packed with people sitting around rickety folding tables and red-stained wooden chairs. The majority of the customers were Asian, which Lara considered a good sign. With its white linoleum floors and drab ceiling panels, the bland and unrefined atmosphere didn't do justice to the quality of the food. Lara's stomach growled as she enjoyed the full-flavored beef broth. 
After a few unsuccessful attempts at using chopsticks, she surrendered to eating her rice noodles with a fork and a spoon. Across from her, Justine handled her chopsticks in one hand and her ceramic ladle in the other like an expert foodie, effortlessly lifting the noodles from the beef broth into her mouth. I couldn't tell you before, but I actually used to work for the NSA until recently, Justine said, her voice barely above a whisper, though they sat in the far corner where no one seemed to be paying attention to them. Lara's eyes widened. Oh, really? Justine nodded. Dr. Stepanoff doesn't suspect anything, and he can't know about it, she said, lowering her voice even more. The NSA sent me to DARPA on temporary assignment. I'm conducting an internal investigation on a major leak of classified information. We think someone at DARPA may be collaborating with someone from the NSA community to sell top-secret encryption technology on the dark web. Lara sat straight up in her seat. Dark web again? Are you in counterintelligence or something? Justine shook her head. No, I'm assisting the NSA lead counterintelligence officer. My boss thought sending me here might help us pry loose some information from my unsuspecting colleagues at DARPA. Lately, we've had our eye on Stepanov, who has engaged in some suspicious behavior. You saw how upset he got about anything remotely classified. Something's not right there. What other sorts of behavior is he exhibiting? Lara asked as she spooned broth into her mouth, grimacing as it spattered on the table. A little old lady in Lara's line of sight shook her head in dis- disapproval as she lifted her bowl and scooped the broth and noodles into her mouth. Lara brought her own bowl to her mouth, this time managing to eat without a mess. Justine swallowed a large spoonful of noodles. Well, we're cooperating with the FBI, and they put a light tail on him, and... She paused and glanced around the room. On several occasions, he met up with your victim before he died. Obviously, I couldn't tell you that while we were with Stepanoff. Lara's mouth dropped as she tried to absorb the new information. Stepanoff knew Sully? So he did lie. From the business card, she already knew Sully had contact with Stepanoff, but to learn Sully had met with him several times surprised her. Where did they meet? At a bar called Wicked Bloom in D.C., Justine said. You know it? Lara nodded, the blood draining from her face. Sully met Stepanoff at our place? What FBI are you working with? My primary contact is Special Agent Martin from the Washington, D.C. field office. Another freaking coincidence. Lara kept a straight face, but her heart began to race. Why are you sharing this all with me? Surely it's highly sensitive stuff. I'm, well... I feel like I can trust you, Justine looked away for a moment and then stared directly at Lara with uncertainty. And you're working with the DC police. I figure we can help each other. If we pull our information, maybe we can find... Justine turned her face away again. Justine's eyes glistened with tears and Lara cringed internally. She always found it unsettling when people cried around her, partly because she never knew how to behave. Should she console them? Or would that make it worse? She didn't understand why anyone would express their emotions so openly. As a kid stuck in the foster care system, frequently traded between families, Lara learned to cope internally with her own emotions and rarely cried without prompting from someone else. Seeing the tears of another made her feel things she'd rather ignore. It sounds like it's a bit more than that, Lara said. Justine wiped a tear from her cheek. Yes, I'm personally invested in this case. I suspect the person who killed Sully also bears responsibility for the death of my colleague at NSA. She paused for a moment. Well, Frank was much more than a colleague. We were very close. You were romantically involved? 
It wasn't really a question. Laura could see it in her eyes. Justine nodded. Yes, he was killed about a year ago. I think by the same person behind the technology leaks. I've been helping the NSA track down the scumbag ever since. If you could tell me anything else about the case, I'd appreciate it. Lara shook her head. There's not much, I'm afraid. I've already told you everything I know. Justine's face fell, and she closed her eyes for a moment. But would you be willing to work with me moving forward? She asked cautiously. Please? Tears formed in Justine's eyes again, and Lara could feel her stomach knot. Sure, why not? Putting our heads together could be helpful. Relief fell across Justine's face. You have no idea how much hope that gives me. We've been floundering lately. Every lead has come to a dead end. We desperately need a breakthrough. And I'm sure with all your amazing expertise, we could crack this case very soon. Lara shrugged half-heartedly, her cheeks growing hot. She didn't take compliments well. They made her feel awkward and added pressure. With all of NSA's resources at your disposal, I'm not sure how I can help, Lara said. NSA doesn't have jurisdiction on domestic counterintelligence, so I've been relying on the FBI for my information. The waiter stopped by their table to clear the food. Justine glanced at Lara. I'll get the check, okay? That's really not necessary, but thank you, Lara smiled. She waited while Justine took cash from her wallet and left enough to cover the bill and tip on the table. If you would, please keep me in the loop on any developments on your end. She handed Justine her business card. Sure, and same for you. Do you need to call a cab? Justine asked as they got up from the table and headed toward the door. No, my motorcycle is parked right there. Lara pointed to her sh shiny blue bike gleaming in the sun as they walked out. You ride? Justine asked as she fixed her eyes on Lara's bike. I've always wanted to try it especially now that we can't manually drive cars anymore. But I'm a bit intimidated by the size and weight of the bike. I'm not sure I could keep it balanced and avoid tipping over. It takes some practice, but once you get a hang of it, it's easy. Plus, the self-balancing technology does most of the work for you. If you want, I could teach you some time. Justine gave Lara a wide grin as she stood tiptoed for a moment. Oh, that would be great. As Lara stashed her wallet, in the seat compartment, she turned back to Justine one more time. I'm curious, how did your partnership with Special Agent Martin come about? Justine stepped back, surprised by the question. I suppose his boss assigned him the case when NSA called the FBI for assistance? Lara nodded, wondering if there was more to it. She waved goodbye to Justine, who turned around and strode quickly down the sidewalk back to her office. Then she took out her smartphone, handshaking, she typed a text, we need to talk. Her thumb hovered for several minutes before she finally hit send. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T. R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.